Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help 1 million people start a business of their own, and we're well on our way. We're here broadcasting today from the Belsize Park Library in North London. We believe libraries are not part of the past, they're part of the future. In our view, libraries are knowledge centres, not places that books sit, but where knowledge sits. So we're proud to be broadcasting knowledge from here today to you. My entrepreneurial guest is Anna Scare Nielsen, <laughs> Chief Futurist at Universal Futurist. Anna, welcome. Thank you so much, Simon. I'm so happy to be here. Likewise, wonderful to have you here. Well, could we start off the podcast by you kindly introducing yourself to the audience? Yes, yes, I can. And, and I'm so happy that you're sitting in a library. I, I didn't know that you were because I, I was saved by libraries. I'm a book book person, you know, a book girl. Didn't have any friends growing up. Uh, always felt like on the fringes, you know, out of the social setting. So I lived most of my life in books and I love libraries. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, but many people are super scared about librarians. Oh, really? <laughs> Librarian anxiety, yeah. But then again, in any adventure, I don't think you can find any science fiction movie where there is not a library and where the library has kind of like, you know, guru style, a magical, magical scenery is the library. So I think that as a futurist that the library You've is got like me you're saying, it's not a thing of the past. We're looking for uh, we're looking for sustainable ways to keep like in England in particular libraries are in yeah. real trouble. They are not funded by the government anymore, and they're not the core necessity that they should be. I mean, I, I love libraries for many reasons, similar story to you. Right? But I think libraries are the only place left in England where you can go to a library and no one expects money from you as soon as you walk through the door. And mm. it's the only place, I think, that still kind of serves the underserved. And you can get Wi-Fi here, and not everyone can afford Wi-Fi. You can get access to knowledge. Not everyone can yeah. afford knowledge. So it's um, it's really important to save them. So you're you're contributing to saving libraries in England today. I am by very being happy. Part of our I wouldn't podcast. have been here where I am today if I didn't had had libraries. Maybe we could start off just by telling the audience yeah, a little bit I'm about back. you. Yes, I am a futurist. And when you are a futurist, you actually have the world's best job, you know, especially if you're a curious person, because a futurist is a, it's an eclectic science. And with eclectic, that's just a pretty word for being allowed to steal from everywhere. And that is what we do is that we're looking into the future. We're working with trends and scenarios and planning for the future and coming up with these ideas about not so much the problems that we have today, but the, the good life of the future. So we're bringing in many, many perspectives, uh, always on the lookout for what's happening, what's moving and what directions to go in. And, and deep down under that is always the question about the good life. You know, what is the good life for, for people? How will we work in the future? What's uh, the family status? Uh, what products are we going to buy? So it's, um, I, in, I, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for more futurists. <laughs> How do you the spot them? For more entrepreneurs, I'm always looking for more futurists. How do you spot them? Well, it's, it's people who love talking about the future. It's people who love talking about possibilities and they don't need to have an answer. Usually it's also people who enjoy talking about dilemmas. You know, should we do this or should we do that? Like, should we work from home or shouldn't we work from home? without coming up with a conclusion, but just because they're thinking this is, you know, this is fun to talk about. Uh, it's also the people who sometimes will drag their children into watching movies 
uh, where if you were an adult, you look a little bit pedophile if you come alone <laughs> or like a stalker. So you have to have kids to come in and watch a Pixar movie or a science fiction movie. But in basically, you would just go by yourself if you could. I've had or that buying. problem. I've had that problem. Yeah. I wanted to go watch a Pixar movie and thinking, am I allowed to go on my own? Yeah, exactly. Right. Weird, because yeah. you really feel like a grown, like a stalker or somebody. Yeah, exactly, so you think, yeah. Grab some kids and go in and see the movie. So should should uh, should, also, we, should we be working from home or working or should we go back to the office? I think we should do both. I think that there is no need for many people to drive and sit in commutes uh, through cities and town. I actually think that what's happening right now with people working from home, we should have done that based on sustainability. Many, many people were tired of commuting. And of course, there are some jobs where you actually have to go. Like if you're a dentist or a cardiologist, it's little hard to take the work home, work home with you. But most people today could do their job, I think, in three days time. And then they could be entrepreneurs in two days of the week, spend two, two days off. I think that's feasible. But I think that we also need to change our mindset because in Denmark right now, if you, if you want to work from home or you might have a four-day work week, the next thing that comes up is that then we are going to pay you less salary. But I do think in 10 years time, we are going to say to each other that if you finish early, you should actually have more pay <laughs> because you're super effective. I don't think that, you know, working long hours and getting paid for long hours might not be a thing that is connected anymore. Well, folks, um, we, um, Anna and I have met before. We did a, a live podcast before. I'll put the link here if you want to hear um, how Anna thinks about the future. But today's podcast, I really want to get into your yes, story. It's about how, me. How, yeah. did, how did you <laughs> get into being a futurist? I, I was just looking at your CV. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, well, very impressive, first of all. But tell us, tell us your journey. Yes, I, I now I can tell you like the perfect story, you know, where it looks like I made decisions and I had a plan and a strategy. And I can also just tell you the true story. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you prefer the true story. I never knew what I wanted to do. Never. I remember being a little bit envious of people in my class who said that I want to work in a bank when they were like 14 years old. And, 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 and I was like, it must be so nice to know what you want to do when you grow up. And I had no idea. So instead, I actually turned it around. So I've been using a principle, which is that I might not know what I want, but if I know what I don't want, I have to drop everything and then make a decision about not being there. And then rather just being in an open, undefined field than being stuck in a situation where I know this is not what I'm supposed to do. And that has worked really well, you know, that I venture into something and I give it my best because that's what I learned from my dad is that you always have to do your best. And after a certain period of time, could be two weeks or three months or six months, if I can really feel in my core, you know, that I'm not thriving here, then I make the decision and I move out of it. And then I would rather be in an undefined space. So I'm a biologist by education. I'm also a political scientist. And I thought that I was supposed to work in, in environmental politics. And then I worked at a government institution in Denmark, and it was so boring, <laughs> so boring. I wrote a, a letter to my boss at this institution about why I thought that his, uh, the way that he talked about sustainability was wrong. So I wrote him and said, you know, this is not going to work. <laughs> and then he called me and I was supposed to come and talk with him. And I explained a lot of stuff about what I saw in the future. And he just, I, I think he thought I was funny. You know, I thought he thought I was pretty entertaining. And I remember closing the door and thinking, this is not for me. And on my way out, after I quit, I saw 
poster and there were three jobs listed as futurist. And I didn't know what a futurist was, but I thought this sounds a little bit like a Jedi from Star Wars or a little bit like an astronaut, <laughs> a futurist. That is what I want to do. And I applied for one of the jobs and I didn't get it. And then I thought, should they actually decide that, you know, should other people who don't know me be in a position where they can make, uh, you know, <laughs> they can make the decision about my life. So I actually just um, uh, went to work and uh, pretended that I had a job at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. <laughs> and then my strategy was, I just had to be really, really good at this. You know, it had to be super helpful. I had to uh, just work overtime. I didn't have any kids at that, at that moment. And I worked there for no money for, I think, maybe five, five, six months. And then the director of the place came and said, we can't find your contract. And I said, well that's strange. <laughs> and they said, maybe we should make one. And I say, yeah, let's do that. And then I worked there for three years. That's yeah. amazing. So you, yeah. you that, that it's absolutely amazing. I love that. So you kind of didn't let no stop you. No, no means not at the moment. That's what I hear. When people say no to me, it's because they don't understand it. Or it's because not right now. That's what I hear. And I have another principle, which is that if people don't understand what I'm saying, it's always my fault. And I give a lot of keynotes and presentations, right? So if I can see that people are glazing over and I'm losing them, that's always on me because that's my job is to get people to see what it is that I'm seeing. So, so when they told me no, that, that, what, that is what I thought is that also they're saying not right now, but I want the job right now. <laughs> and they don't understand what I'm coming with. So I have to show them what I have. And it worked. So I can highly recommend just showing up at a job that you really want and say, um, thanks for hiring me. I, I think we could create <laughs> quite an exciting movement if that took on with people just turning up. I'm here. Yes. You know, you just yeah. join the Zooms. I think that happens already. You just be like, I'm here. What can I do to help? People are like, I think you could have so much fun, right? But I, I think that, you know, you can just change your mind and have all the fun in the world. It doesn't matter what situation you, that you're in. If I got laid off, let's say that I still had my, my normal job at the Copenhagen Institute and I got laid off. What I thought that I wanted to do was being a conference crasher. Because when you go to conferences, right, you have those nice hotels or lovely places where they have conferences. And there are always somebody who doesn't show up. So you wait until the, the end and then you go to the desk and then you could be, you know, you're not Simon Squibb anymore. You are, uh, who could you be? You could be George uh, Sobble, easy you Peterson, know? yeah, George <laughs> Peterson. So now you're George Peterson, and you just put that that little you know ledger on, and you go into the conference. You're talking about wedding about, crasher in a business context. It's yes, um, a conference crasher. Yeah, I think and then then you go in and you hear about farming equipment, and there's a really nice lunch, and then people will come up and ask you, so so what do you do, and then you just go, well, I do snap. But what do you do? Because people always love to talk about themselves. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do then. I have to say, I have to say, I think the um, the way of thinking is 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 brilliant. And actually, it is very much what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I think because yes. yes. an entrepreneur, like when I was fifteen years old, no one was going to let me be a CEO of a company. It was, it was never going to happen. But I felt I knew stuff and I felt I could build stuff. So I am a CEO, but no one was yes. going to give. So I just decided I was a CEO of a gardening company at 15 years old. 
and off I went. And and that b- belief made it happen. This is uh, this dude. Uh, maybe you heard about him. His name is Churchill. <laughs> Winston. <laughs> Used to be yes, Winston. Yeah, and, vaguely. Uh, Winston. Winston has uh, written many interesting books, you know, and autobiographies about himself. And I remember quite when I was quite young, I wrote, I read uh, in his autobiography, uh, which uh, very charmingly is called "My Early Years." I really loved that. Like he was like 40 something. And then you write an autobiography called my early years. It's like, okay, then I finished with that. And now I'm moving into something else. And he had that quote uh, to quote himself, which is that the easiest way to become what it is that you want to be is to pretend that you're already there and just start acting accordingly. And when I was around maybe I think 27, eight, I had this realization that I was on the hunt all the time. It was like, when are you really, truly happy? It's like I had all these amazing things happening to me and I was never really content. It was like, on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. And then I sat down and I did some introspection and asked myself, so when am I there? You know, when have I arrived in that position where I would say, now this is it, you know, now I'm happy. (laughs) And the first thought I had was that my gravestone Right. That would be like, here. <laughs> finally, not rest in peace. It would be other people saying now we have peace. <laughs> finally, she stopped. <laughs> she stopped talking. And then I did this, you know, soul searching. And I really, truly had to answer that I would be content. Not even if I sat behind the Oval Office, you know, in the Oval Office behind the desk. I, that My first thought, if I got elected president in the United States would be, OK, what now? <laughs> And then I, again, I realized that my favorite position would be CEO of everything. If I could be in charge of everything on the planet, then I would be truly happy. And then I did the the Winston Churchill. I kind of like just, you know, promoted myself to being the CEO of the world and started behaving accordingly. So I didn't have any clients. I only had subdivisions. (laughs) And then I realized that the work is still as hard Like if you met Jesus, he would also go around telling stories and not using his powers to coerce people because he he tried that before and it didn't work. So 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 the 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 whole behavior that you had to have if you want to be a benevolent leader of the world is of course to be a futurist, right? It is to show people visions of what could be, but you're not allowed to manipulate them. They have to use their own free will to see what's better for them. So I can't just, you know can't force people into the future, but I can show them wonderful visions. So amazing. Um, how long have you been in charge of the whole world? Because I might have a bone to pick um, with you. Between, yeah, it's not going that well. It's between uh, 20, 20, from 29 years of age and now I'm like 49, 48, but I fired myself five years ago because right. it was super stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. I think some of the, some of the listeners listening, the idea of, you know, running the world would scare them you know like it, it's, but you it's, should try it you should try it you know every every movie you see with a super villain where where you're thinking you know you did not think that through honey because yeah. what you want to do is that you want to uh, wreak havoc on the world with nuclear disaster because once somebody stole your girlfriend and you never really got over it and then your exit plan is that you want you want to live on the bottom of the ocean floor with a cat as your only friend. That's like, you can do that now. (laughs) It's much easier to build a house on the ocean floor and live with a cat than it is to, you know, 
boom all the I feel like most of the time the supervillains are just wanting to kill everyone that doesn't agree with them and uh, and start again. That seems to be yes. the general plan of yeah. the it's evil. like and okay and have you thought it through right because then you're just <laughs> going to end up alone <laughs> a lot of robots a lot of robot yeah, friends maybe yeah, who's who, everybody's agreeing with you yeah well true, that, that wouldn't be so bad <laughs> i have to say my my worst idea for the future is everyone is me that's my worst nightmare that i wake up in the morning and everyone is me uh -huh. so every person i i meet is myself and looks like me and right. wants the same things. You'd have a lot. You'd have a lot of thing. interesting debates, oh. wouldn't you? You'd, be, you'd, you'd, you'd <laughs> oh, I think you disagree awful. with yourself just for the sake of it. But, but going yes, back exactly to, again, going back to your kind of how you got where you are today. You know, being this chief futurist of your present company. I, I, now you've said your age. I can say it. You were born in Denmark in 1971. Were you yes. born into a family that was permanently talking about the future? How how did this happen to you? No, 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 no. I was I was uh, I I might be the only normal person person in Denmark. You know, my name is Anne and my last surname is Nielsen. That's the most average name you can have in Denmark. Uh, my dad is a high school teacher, was, he's retired now. My mom was a, a therapist and she uh, quit her job to go at home and attend to the children. I have an older brother, a younger brother. We are so normal. There are no traumas, no depressions, no divorces. Oh yes, now we had one. So that's kind of like <laughs> a little bit more normal and it usually if we have a party and have to give a speech that would be what i'm criticizing my parents for is that we are so boring and so normal that everybody else has a fun story to tell and we are like no nothing ever happens uh, so i've been loved you know i have had a really nice childhood we didn't have a lot of money uh, my dad and mom always prioritized that we could have vacations together and spend time together but it was kind of like everything on a shoestring and on a budget. So I think that my motivation for being an entrepreneur in the beginning was not to be rich, but it was to have economic freedom. So just do whatever I want to do. Freedom is very important to me. So I don't want to have a job where I earn a lot of money. I would actually much rather be there where money is not an issue. It's not something that you're thinking about. But I didn't thought about being an entrepreneur before I went, you know, I was three years at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. And all I did was talk with clients. You had, it's a membership organization where people come in and then you make these keynotes or conferences or meetings where you're helping them see the future. So you're listening a lot, right? You're always on the podium and you're always talking with people. And I'm, I like to help people. So of course I want to kind of like come up with new ideas Everybody started at that time about talking about innovation. Nobody knew what it was, but that was kind of like the new word of the time. So I went to my, my boss together with two other people and said, should we make a department that worked with innovation? And he said, no. And we said, hmm. And then I started my own company. And I actually heard that that's, that's one of the, the most successful recipes is two people going in to their CEO saying, should we? And he says, no. And then they start their new company based on that idea. I think that's a really good insight for anyone out there that um, is wondering whether they should start a business. Go pitch it to the CEO you work with right now. If they say no, go yeah. do it yourself. Give go it good, good it motivation, yourself. isn't it? It's also a bit like, um, you know, proved yeah. you were wrong. And I didn't know anything, right? I didn't know anything about anything. I just really wanted to be a futurist. I really wanted to be the best futurist in the world. And if I could make money out of that, that, that would be so, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I think that we are a very good um, example of an, an organization 
that's an alternative to to all the guys and girls going into the i think in britain it's called dragons den you know that program yep. where you go in and pitch your ideas yep. in denmark it's called the lions den so we have the lions you have the dragons but it's basically the same i don't know why they and always pitch them as so aggressive as well i mean they feel like exactly. lions will so eat it becomes you. There, lions oh. and dragons you know you have to be dragon fire and fighting like a lion and the blood is spurring and then you're you're telling entrepreneurs this story that 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 is why it's how it's supposed to be like you know American version of a business success. You're working eighty hours per week, and the, the blood is spraying all around, and you're living in your car, and you don't have time for your family. You and, tread on anyone to get ahead. It doesn't matter. Yes. You know all these moral code incorrect. Uh, yeah. Totally. And we, I have never been like that. I wanted to build a business, and I hear now that they're called zebras. So it's not a lion or a dragon, it's a zebra. <laughs> but I think you can call it whatever you want. But when you do that, am I frozen again? No, it's okay. Just I think it's okay. I'll, I'll tell you if it's got... If it's got and we're back. It's called sleepers, is it? Is it? Did you say okay. sleepers? Zebras, you know, the horses with the stripes. Oh, the zebras. A zebra, yeah. Zebras. So it's not a lion yeah. and it's not a dragon, but it's a yeah. zebra. Yeah, I think I, you can call it whatever you want. But uh, but for me, having my own business has meant freedom. It has meant that I could develop myself and my company in the direction where I make the decisions, but also be able to go home and spend time with my children. I could have traveled the earth much more than I than I have done. You know, when I get a calling from Las Vegas to come and talk at an, a conference, I could have done that much more because... There are not many women in the world who talk about the future, innovation, technology, and leadership. We are not many. There are abundance of men. <laughs> so I get picked just for being a woman, and I actually don't care. I just say that, okay, if that's my entry, that's okay. But when I'm on stage, I'm going to blow your hair off your hips. And when I'm sitting in an airplane, I'm kind of happy. I think this is nice, but I so much miss my children. I think that as a mom... You know, I have to be together with my children. I also think that working makes me a better mom. So my, my kids also know that I like them. I love them, but I don't want to be with them all the time. <laughs> and then they say, but mommy, you have to be. No, not all the time. Why? Okay. Imagine this, my love. You are sitting with your friends. You know, you're playing PlayStation. You have two friends over. And you are having a really nice time. And now I come in and I want to join. You know, I want to talk. I'm standing in front of the TV and asking you questions. What do you think about that? And they say, that's pretty goddamn annoying, mommy. Yeah, that's how I feel about you. <laughs> great. Well, you could, so you know? that's a great parental tip. I wasn't expecting a parental <laughs> tip today, but that is a really good yeah. one. Yeah. I, th I think for entrepreneurs, if you are parents, I think that you're a role model. I really want to show my kids that there are different ways of working. Mm. And when I tell my kids that I'm going to work, I never give them this um, sensation that I'm forced to do it. When I go to work, it's because I choose to go to work. This is my own responsibility that I chose to have a lifestyle like this. So if I'm away from you, honey, it's because other people have a need for me to come. Now they're bigger, but when they were smaller, I would actually tell them that. I would say that, you know, more... Uh, they're these people and they are really stuck in what they do and they are really afraid of the future. And when I come and I tell them stuff, then they're really happy and then they go home to their kids and hug them instead of kicking them. 
So that's why mommy is away for a couple of hours. <laughs> and then they'll say, that's good, mommy. We'll see you. That's, that's brilliant. Brilliant way of <laughs> yeah, putting it. Yeah, and I brought them along. You know, my kids have seen the world. So if I have a, a client who books me, very often I will bring my family along. So they, I think it's very important for kids to see the world. Yeah, I think you're touching on something that is very important for people to pick up on too, which is the kind of work-life balance and, and you know, an element of time for yourself, but also including your kids in your work life. Yeah, I think yes. a lot of people overlook that. Actually, it's a lot of the time I hear people won't start a business because they think they're going to be away from their family. But you can integrate your work and your life yes. where companies don't really allow you to do that if you don't own the company. You know, letting you bring your children on a business trip wouldn't be as easy um, if you work for someone else, right? Whereas if you work for, you, for yourself, I actually think you get more time with your children. Mm. You just have to be, have to really carefully manage things and, and manage your priorities. Yes, right? and, and you have to be good. You have to be a good manager, right? Because mm. when you're an entrepreneur, even if you're just yourself, you also sometimes have to give people a job and you have to pay them to do the job. And it could be a freelancer who comes in and translates your website. Mm. So you, you have to be able to actually do that. That's a skill set in itself. Mm. And then you can you can actually rehearse that on your children. <laughs> so my children have done many kind of small jobs for me where I have paid them a little mm. instead of just pocket money, right? Then that was their salary. And I can see children really grow from that. Totally. I tell my children, you know, I need you. I need you to do this. You know, our family life will be better if you participate with this job that is yours and you take a responsibility. So it's going to be the same when they grow up, right? That's such good everybody messaging. is becoming an entrepreneur. I, I think it's such, I, I, I just, I love it. I love what you're saying because I think for so many people, they do try to separate their life and don't include their children. And they tell their children, I've seen it, you know, a child will come out on them on a Zoom and they'll say, go away, I'm busy. And yeah. I, I like to bring my son into the conversation and let him be a part of it. And and I feel like, you know, I, I have the same philosophy as you, frankly. I, I love the idea. My son contributes to some of my content and I think it makes the content better. I'm not just saying yes. it to make him feel like he's included i genuinely think his contribution makes things better and i think if you can integrate like that listeners out there that are trying to separate things you might be adding a layer of stress to your life because you're trying to do that so i really love this point at what part at what stage in your career did you have kids did, did you did you naturally know this or did this just come over time Mm, it's um i was what was 30 when i had my first child and then we it was really hard making him you know I, you're really thinking about why did i eat all that contraception <laughs> for so many years if it's so hard to make a baby and then we had the first one and then after that it was kind of like you know now it's a roller coaster so i had twins uh, very early after that and then i had the final one number four because wow. my husband said i can make a girl so now we have four boys <laughs> well done oh whoops yeah. <laughs> that's amazing I, i'm that one of is... four boys by the way and you're right i mean i was my wife and i also had some trouble having our first child it's it's actually surprising isn't it how um, yes. you think yeah. it's all easy and so natural therefore you know you spend your first half of your life i think trying to avoid it yeah yes <laughs> and then exactly. you realize how hard and now it it's actually like this is, big you know. battle yeah and then i had again this epiphany and i think that's also really nice if you're looking at your life with you know, that you're just stumbling into the woods and you're just doing the best that you can. And then you look back and then you reflect upon, so how did it go? You know, did I step on something I shouldn't have stepped on? You know, did I leave anybody crying that I had to say sorry for? I'm really good at doing inner inventory. You know, every day I'm kind of like scanning myself to see is there an ugly spider lying? Is there somebody where I can feel that there's a weird sensation? 
that I had to cope with. I'm really good at saying sorry as well. If I think that I did something to make people sad and, and even I can remember back, I had a friend and uh, a really good old friend that I met when I was again, 28 years old. And she just had um, a leave from work because she had stress. No, from her education because she had stress. And then it flies out of my mouth. How can you be down with stress? You don't do anything. And then you could see her face, right? Like something shattered. And I didn't understand it because, you know, when you're young, you don't have these, uh, you know, where, you know, the empathy and, and the knowledge to see that this is actually really stupid. <laughs> and I think it's like five years later where that sentence comes back to me, where I tried some of the stuff for myself. And then I call her and I say, do you remember I said that to you? And she said, no, I don't remember it. I say, okay, but I'm really sorry because that was so stupid. So, so I think that the kind of looking back and then saying, okay, what happens? is So super fun. Like when we had the twins, I didn't remember anything from having my first child. So I didn't write anything down. You know, there are many people who write everything down when they have a child. And I didn't write anything down because I thought this is so epic. I'm just going to remember anything, everything. Then I had the twins. Everything was gone. Wow. And then I thought, okay, that's pretty amazing. Because if I don't remember anything from something that was so important to me, then there is no reason to, in your life, remember bad stuff. Then if you can pick and choose what you want to remember, only remember the nice stuff. So my husband and I made an agreement that while the kids were small, we had to press every night when we go to bed, we press control out delete. And then everything that has happened during the day <laughs> is now forgiven. You know, it is gone. And if there's something that you want to bring up, you have to do it before nighttime, because when the day is over, control L delete, and then we wake up in the morning with smiles on our faces and happy. And we are still together. So it has worked pretty well. And I think it's it has been a sweeter deal for me than for him. Uh, which I translate as you've caused more trouble than he has. Yes, yes. Yeah. And he's a military guy. You know, he used to be in the Queen's Guard as a, as a young person. And that's highly recommended. I'd say girls find somebody who's been in the military because it's on their backbone, right? When somebody is waking up at night and you say, so come up, diaper change. Yes. <laughs> and then they do it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really nice. I, 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 I always house. wanted to date someone from the military because I felt they would keep me fit. You know, that's yeah. the, the discipline yeah. in the military the is, is incredible, yeah. isn't it? But I think having the discipline to do that control alt delete uh, philosophy is, is, I mean, I, I you, know, you always say don't go to sleep angry with each other, for example. You know, but it's really, you all know that rule, but we've all done it. I've, I've definitely yeah. done it. You know, like, it, it's really hard to just, like, wipe clean and say, okay, today's a new day. And yesterday when you cheated on me and then you went, it's very hard to forgive all that, right? And that control-alt-delete philosophies must be very hard to yeah. execute. Yeah. But they sell, they say hell is not being able to forgive. Mm. I think that's true. And right. especially not to forgive yourself that you're going in this loop over and over again, you know, in your mind where you're thinking about people who did you wrong. Mm. So, and it's hard, but again, that's a good thing that life is long. 
so that we can heal all our trauma. And that's also a future thing, actually, that I think that one of the reasons why so many people are depressed and have anxiety and feeling lonely and it's kind of like everything is burping up in the moment. I think that, that many, many people right now are taking responsibility for what has happened through the generations. Very often you see that people who go to see a psychiatrist, they go to see a psychiatrist because they've been living with people who do not want to go to the psychiatrist. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, they might be living with a narcissist or somebody who has a, a disease in the brains, but they don't want to fix it which is why they're not taking it out on other people who now go see a psychiatrist. Mm. <laughs> so I think it would actually be nice if you could get hired from, for, from your society because you're healing the wounds of the past mm. and not putting it on to the next generations. Because we have so much on our economy with people who have mental diseases or trauma or stressed or not fitting in anymore. I think that's kind of like a thing in the time right now that everything is burping up. Totally, yeah. And I think the transference of our anxiety onto our children, for example, yes. is totally underestimated. And uh, a lot of, I mean, I see it with my son, if, you know, he, he is a direct reflection of my energy. Yes. And, and so kids really pick up yes. on that. The one thing I really uh, want to just bring back up, you just mentioned a second ago, that I, I think, you know, listeners out there that are thinking of being entrepreneurs, this kind of lion, dragon, zebra thing, I think it's really yeah. interesting. I love the idea that entrepreneurs can be zebras. It's, it sounds like um, not a very interesting animal, doesn't it? Maybe it's not good for TV, but, but I, I really like it as an analogy. You can be a horse, mm-hmm. you can yes. blend in, um, you can have a good time. You can take your time. You can enjoy life. You can have someone on your back and bring them with you and they can walk alongside you. I like this whole concept of a zebra as opposed to an animal that's going to eat you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I actually think that should be, you know, a T-shirt, you know, a philosophy for yes. people uh, to, to model themselves on as an entrepreneur. And I, and I really do want to smash the stereotype of, of what people perceive as an entrepreneur. And I do think these shows that we've just discussed sometimes, sometimes you know, it's not all it's about not what about. you get out of it. Right. And, and that whole, um, you know, I'm going to get something to kill, eat and kill for myself and everyone else. You know, good luck. And yeah. I think I, I think I want to say that's the 1980s, really. But, you know, there's that seems to be still a lot of people's belief in tread on anyone to get ahead. So I really yeah. like that zebra analogy. But w- when did you um, when did you realize you were a zebra? I bet you've never been I asked think that I've question always before. Been, I've always been a zebra. And I think that from, from all these years that I have at the, at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, because very early on in my life, I was exposed to many, many, many different kinds of people. And again, as I started, I was saying that when you work with the future, the underlying thing that you're looking for is the good life. So how do we make life better for people? And then when you meet somebody that were you know, famous from TV or somebody who, who wrote a book or you share a cap, uh, to the airport with a, a with a minister, uh, not a minister. What do you call it? Uh, you know, politician. You know, a uh, prime minister. So, so you're sitting there. You know, you're like 27 years old, and you're sharing a cap with the prime minister, and you get to actually, like, I'm curious, right? So you get to ask some questions, and then you figure out they're not happy. You know, they are sad, and they are they have all this you know crap inside of them that they haven't released, and you can start feeling that this is actually not a very nice person. <laughs> so, so, and then sometimes you find them. So one of the things that for me stands out is if I can meet a person where you can see they still have the eyes of a child. So they might be 50 or 60 years old, but you can see they are pranksters and they might be CEOs of huge companies, but they still have the light in the eyes. That for me is a success criteria that you can still play and you still 
think that the world is a funny place. If that light goes out, that's not very nice. So, so that think that that for me has just been, you know, always looking for why are people doing what they do? And I have yet to meet a lion that is happy, you know, that is really, truly happy. There's this um, uh, also famous guy who uh, drove Lego, you know, the, the toy company to a huge success. When he retired, none of his children wanted to take over the business. And I have this idea in my mind. It's like that he went home, you know, that he, he's been postponing going home to play with his kids. And when he vents all this Lego and he has the boxes. And then one day he comes home and he says, hey, kids, let's play with the Lego. And now they are all like 40 years old. It's mm -hmm. like too late, daddy. And now they actually did. I think some of them actually took over in Lego. But for me, that again was kind of like this epiphany, you know, that, that that's really strange. And another story that comes to mind that also has been this defining moment for me is um, a Scandinavian star was a ship that went down in the 80s, was a big catastrophe. You know, there were many Danish people on board that went down with this ship. So this was kind of like really big thing in, uh, in Scandinavia. And one of the, the uh, survivors, his name was Morten, was interviewed on TV afterwards And I was not very old. Maybe I was 15 years old. And I see this guy on TV who gets interviewed as a survivor. And he tells a story where he says, I thought I would have been, been a hero. I always thought that of myself, that if I ventured into a catastrophe, I would be the one who saved others. I was a primal animal. I stepped over the backs of old ladies. I pried the fingers of people who were lying in the water because they were dragging down the float and I pried their fingers off. And he was just being super honest, right? And he's telling this story and you can see in his face that he's so disappointed in himself. And for me, that was, you know, defining moments, right? It's kind of like where you're just sitting there and, and the universe is telling you something that you're really not ready to understand. But I just remember that, and this is not to put him in any kind of bad situation. I really have the deepest respect for this guy. And I think that most people probably would have done the same thing. So it's not to make him look bad. But but my takeaway from it was that if you want to be the greater hero, you have to be the smaller hero. You, you can't, it's like a muscle, right? You have to be a small hero every time you have the opportunity. Because when the shit hits the fan and the world calls for a great hero, <laughs> you are not going to be a hero like that. You know, if you've been sitting behind a desk working on something that wasn't, you know, any kind of value in it, you don't have the skill set to be that greater hero. So that's just been really important for me. Every time I can feel there's a right and wrong thing to do, and it could be tiny, tiny, tiny. Like I had a keynote speech in London for 3,000 people uh, for a consulting company where people flew in from all over the world. And I was like the keynote speaker, right? I was like, this is, she's so famous. She can do everything. Yeah, I'm like, I'm from Denmark, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> and then I go off stage and people are applauding me And there's a reception afterwards. And then the waiter drops a teaspoon from the tray. And she's walking with two trays. And it's kind of like the whole room goes quiet while I go and pick up the teaspoon and puts it on her tray. And I can just feel that all of these people were like, you know, you are out of your place now because you are the keynote speaker. You're not supposed to help the help. And I just remember, you know, it's like my body said, you know, Maybe you should stop. Maybe you shouldn't pick it up. And then my soul said, yeah, you have to do it. Remember, Morton, you have to do it. So, so I think that, you know, those, those defining moments where 
life is like, you know, it's like walking in a jungle when you're an entrepreneur. There's so many things where you don't know. And even, you know, there's stuff that you don't know, but then there's also the stuff that you don't know that you don't know. So you're just meshing in, but then you have to look back again and you have to reflect about what did you do? Can you do better? Can you share the goods? What makes you a better person? Because when you're zebra, I guess you're in it for a long run. I think it's much more lifestyle where if you're a lion or you're a dragon, I really often hear it's more like you want to grow a business so you can sell it. But then we're back with the villains, right? Have you thought it through? Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, so now you sold it. So, so what now? So what do you want to do now? I mean, what, what you're talking about, my, my kind of simple translation of what you're explaining, which is amazing, is it, it, to be a small hero, training wheels for me are things like being humble. Yes. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've got, you're no different to anybody else. And, you know, and I think being humble is a secret power and a good way of learning to be a hero. And so, you know, I, I, um, I, 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 even myself, as I've got more successful, there's this persona that you have, you, you want to project to the world of the success you are. Yes. So yeah. somehow, you know, helping someone, um, for example, pick up the plates off the table and give it to them. You know, why would you do that? You're hiring a waitress or a waiter. That's their job, you know, but there's something very satisfying in being in picking up those plates and helping that person take the plates away. You know, like there's there's some energy transfer where you're not you're not taking all this power and becoming a dragon. <laughs> you're not taking all this power and, and, and somehow yeah. building out a persona that isn't a good one. It's not a happy one. Yeah. So why but a lot of people I think forget to be humble. And and ironically, I think in the early days when people haven't made it, they think proving that they can, that they're successful by, by showing off their fancy car or showing off how much they've got and that being the exact opposite to humble when they haven't even got the thing that they're saying they've got, you know, that, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic that, uh, that you're bringing up here. Um, and I, and I wonder if people can be more humble. It's, I think it's such a wonderful thing when people are humble. I love it when I meet successful people that are humble it's it's actually a lovely feeling because then you you know you're you're sharing knowledge and you're learning from each other and honesty to your point as well i really like the story about the, um, the example you gave of the pilot and, and and you know i think that's true for a lot of people when you're actually tested you're never going to know mm. so i love the idea too that you're saying that people need to be practicing being a hero uh, for the moment yeah, also because go. what in my experience is that kind of like the universe is calling you, right? It's like you have a phone and with a lamplight to the universe and then the universe is calling you, you have to pick up the phone. <laughs> and some people don't pick up the phone right when the universe is calling. So they get more and more annoyed and, oh, could it please go away? And we don't want to talk about these issues. Yeah. But if you pick up the phone and then the universe has a message for you, you don't understand it, right? When the universe is telling you something. Mm. It's more like it's saying gibberish, but later you will understand it. Mm. So I have actually heard myself saying, I am so great at being humble. I might be one of the most humble people in the world. <laughs> oh, that's very humble of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had this wonderful experience also where I'm driving. I'm driving in a cab. So I live in Drauer. That's very close to the airport outside of Copenhagen. So I drive to the, to the airport often, right? Because I'm such an international person. Not at the moment, but I used to drive back and forth from the airport. And then I'm uh, sitting with this uh, taxi driver and I do what I always do because I'm such a lovely person, right? I'm open and I like to converse with people and I'm so charming. So I'm talking to the taxi driver 
And he tells me at that he's been driving this taxi for 15 years. He's been driving in you know Copenhagen back and forth for 15 years. And then I say, that is so funny because I've been living at, you know, this is younger me. I've been living here for 10 years and I drive back and forth to the airport so often. And it's so funny that I have never met you. And then he looks at me and says, yeah, that's super funny because I meet you all the time. That's, that is funny. <laughs> Yeah. So, no. Hello, you being open and you know talking with people and like I've been driving with this guy and I haven't noticed him for so many times. And I think that that's that's you know you have to forgive yourself for being an idiot. I, I think that when we start talking about I want to be humble, right, or I want to be a hero, or I want to be happy, it's because you're not. But it's, that's where the universe calls you and say, you're actually ready now to play that game. You know, you're ready to play the game of being humble. But the reason why I'm giving you that game is because you're not humble. Because when you really truly know what humble means, it stops being something that you have to train. You know, it's just something that you are. Um, I don't know if you tried it, Simon, but if there's something that's very important for you, it feels like everybody wants to challenge you on it. Like for the first six years when I was a futurist, I couldn't go anywhere on TV or a business meeting or a party or reception without having some old geezer coming up to me and say, I think future studies are stupid. Yet I don't think you can predict the future. It happened all the time. It's like I, I attracted them. And then I start talking about, yeah, you can predict the future and trends are wonderful. And they were just like, couldn't care less. And it was so annoying. But when I made peace with it, when, when I said to myself, I really actually don't care. And I truly didn't care. When people come up to me and say, I don't believe you can predict the future. It's like, okay, well, then you can't. I, I believe it. And if you want to talk about that, I'll be more than happy to comply. But it's not my position to force it down your throat or pick a fight with you because it's not interesting to me. So when I made that peace with myself, what happened? Nobody has ever challenged me on it again. So I think that, you know, when you're talking about energy, I think that's what it is. It's like magnets, right? That, that if you have a negative energy or you have a positive energy, you are attracting the negativity or the positivity. But when it's just neutral, you know, when it's just a part of you, and you can pick it up and you can use it. But now it's just something that you are. I think that maybe that's true success. Mm, it's very interesting. It make me think about like you know, when people say climate change isn't real. I do find myself like wanting to, are you, of course it's real. What are you talking about? But part of me also wants to go, all right, well, let's see who's right. Let's, let's just sit back yeah, Let's and see who's right. You know, let's talk I, in 10 years time. I mean, Trump but people. That's I'm because like, what you believe is a choice. What you believe is you a always choice. have to remember that, yeah. What you believe is a choice. I just, I, so believe. I'm always holding out for undecided voters, I guess. You know. Yeah. That the, uh, uh, is this even, person even science? Voter? No, even science is a choice. You know, if you ask people, do you believe in science? So it's a choice that you believe in science. But when you believe in science, then a lot of stuff makes sense, and you can build from there. So the problem with people who don't believe in science, like flat earthers, for instance, they would actually say stop throwing math at me. <laughs> no, mm. I don't believe in science. That's what they're saying. I believe that. I believe my own eyes. So when I look out the window, I can see the earth is flat. That's, that's, you know, that's a proof enough for me. And then everybody else is like, oh my God. <laughs> but that's different belief systems. Do you think this phone call, um, the universe calling you thing, um, do you think when the phone call comes through, it's fear that you first feel? 
I mean, I'm, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to translate like when people. So you know, it's not a real phone call, of course. So people aren't actually getting yeah. a phone call. So, so what is it that people when when it's your calling or when you're getting that call? What form does it take? I guess. I think you say call, so like a calling. Yeah, when someone, someone which, when you said yeah. earlier, you said people, the universe is calling you, and yes. you've got to, you know, uh, rise yeah. to that opportunity. But I feel like people don't rise to that opportunity when the call comes in because they feel fear. It so, for example, fear. they might yes. have an idea, for example, and they're like, "This idea can make the world better," and they're like, "But oh, well, I don't have enough money. I could go broke doing that. Or I could lose my house doing that, or yeah. I could this, that, that, you know." And all these things stop them. This fear, and they pull back and they kind of put the phone down. You know, like yes, yeah, I think that's that's true. And I think that, again, that's one of the differences between visionary entrepreneurs and just an entrepreneur or people who say, no, no, <laughs> comfort is what I want. I think that all the people who are visionary entrepreneurs and who succeed in business, the ones that we build cases around, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and so on and so on, I think that, that that is what they do. You know, They have a calling. They have this sensation, they have this urge, this feeling, and then they just do it and not think so much about it. I don't, I can actually truly say that also about myself, that people very often say, you are so courageous. And then I say, no, I just don't have a sense of reality. <laughs> I don't, I don't think about what can go wrong. I don't, it's like, there's nothing. And for me, then when I learned that other people have this, you know, fear and the demons and, you know, the, the trolls and the, it's like they have all these devils talking to them about this could go wrong and this could go wrong. And then you turn on the media and then you hear all the bad stories and then they say, okay, maybe I know it's better not to start at all. I, I think that fear, fear is, fear is, a, but fear is also a, a big issue in future studies. We actually say that when you want to create the future, it's like you have a bridge that you're passing and then you have the old world which we call tribal. The tribal is them versus us. It's uh, scarce resources. It's uh, building a house, having a job, all those things that we know. But the future is very much planetary, which means that it's hyper-connected, not just technologically, but also between people. It's uh, based much more on creativity and being imagine, imagining that stuff can happen. And you're not allowed to make fear-based decisions in the future. So when you pass that little bridge, there's a troll standing on the bridge which we call the taboo troll. It's the evil cousin of trends. <laughs> so you see the trends, right? You see the future. You see, oh, this could be wonderful. And then you start walking and then you meet the troll. And the troll wants your fear. The troll eats fear. So you have to give your fears to the troll. And the nice thing is that you don't have to do anything else. You just have to face your fear and hand it over and then go into the future. Wow, I love it. And I'm looking at your CV. Two things I've just spotted. One is um, it starts at 2000, so I feel like that's when you had your first child, um, roughly. Yes. Yeah. So, so you actually had your first child when you when you decided you were going to get the job that you wanted that they didn't give you, but you had took it anyway. Oh my God! Now we have to think back. No, so I I that must must have been in 19. I had my first, what is he now? He's 16. So he was born in 2004 and I had oh. my first job around 2000 at the Copenhagen Institute. Right. Yeah. You, you... So I, went, I was there for three years and then I started my first business, Future Navigator. And then I ran that for 15, 16 years. And then last year I started a new one called Universal Futurist because the longing of being a white piece of paper entrepreneurship where you don't know anything. And then, of course, it's called Universal Futurist because now it's like we want the universe, we want the whole planet. 
So we, t- tell me, um, um, well, first of all, I just before I jump into the final bit about where you are today, um, you, you've alumni at Wharton Business School, alumni at Columbia Business School. What's your view on education? I know um, you work with a lot of educational institutions, so we've always got to be sensitive and respectful mm. for them. But, but you know what, I, I, I worry about education today. I worry it's a little bit looking back instead of looking forward. Um, yeah. What, what's your view I think I've had many thoughts about it. I don't think that there's one answer to it because education is very often treated as kind of like a, a fix, you know, for everything. Um, I don't know if you also do it where in, in, in your area of the world, but it's very common in, in Denmark to say this should be on the, you know, on the scheduler for the schools. You know, kids should you you should learn to learn that in school. And it's like, okay, there is no limits to what a child should learn at school now. Uh, I think that. There is that education, um, just like science, might be some of the greatest innovations that we have ever made. Because when you educate some somebody, you take the knowledge of the past, right? And then you give it to somebody else. But I think that we have to think very thoroughly about what it is that we are commuting over. Like being able to light a fire without a lighter. I think that's actually a very basic human skill. And it took uh, humans like, I don't know, thousands of years learning how to do this, right? Maybe first it was lightning and then they could pass it over. Pretty fearful, right? <laughs> I guess the first one would be super scared about I'm sure it. Sure, it's pretty scary. But then, then somebody had, you know, and, and a squirrel found that, found fall into the fire and roasted, and it was actually pretty tasty. And then they came up with the idea that maybe we should make a fire, roast more squirrels. And then all of a sudden the fire goes out. I don't know, how did they come up with that? right? Sitting there. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good idea. And then you can, now you can do it with kind of like those fire stones and you can use all kinds of different material. And I think those things were prior to before people could do that. It would have taken them like a thousand years. And now you have the technique. Everybody should have that, right? Uh, I think that when you teach math, you should teach people the magic of math. You should teach them algebra. You should teach them where does it come from? Why is there an eight system and a 10 system? How with all these, you know, thingies with the little curls that people are using so, so that you actually get this passion for what math is before it gets super boring. I think that many, many people today are just bored with education because it is boring. Why should kids learn to write no, no, even read a book. No, when my four boys read a book, that's a success by it themselves, right? Then they are supposed to write down what they read afterwards. Way to kill an interest. Way to kill a passion. Do you ever do that, Simon? Do you pick up a book and read it? And after that, you write down, you know... <laughs> totally. well, there's, two, like, there's two elements that are annoying. One, one, you're being told to do it, which yeah. most humans don't like being told to do anything. And, and, and second is, you know, exactly, you just want to contemplate your own views on it inside your own head. You yes. Know, it, you can write it down if you want to. But, if you, you know, want to. The idea yeah. you have to, absolutely right. I mean, I, I, do, I do love the knowledge transfer piece. I guess in business in particular, I think business knowledge in, let's say, business schools, and I've mm. spoken at a few myself. So, you know, what often happens, and my, my kind of concern is that they talk about case studies of something that failed in 2000, let's say a dot-com yeah. company. And use this yeah. as a case study as to what went wrong, but has no relevance yeah. to today. And all it actually does is just put fear in people. Yeah. You know, this guy uh, came out, he raised 50 million pounds, this dot-com business, and it completely failed. And now he's broke. 
you know, and this is what he did wrong. He started when there was no internet users. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, what, what use is that? Different? It just creates yeah. the fear point back to your point earlier. I think that just creates the phone call's going to come and you're going to feel fear because of that training. Yeah. And, and, and again, if everything you heard was people making mistakes, going through their fears and, and making a success or not making a success, but then people coming in are the zebras and helping them and then making a success mm. and then failing and being a su success again. If that was what you heard, I think maybe more people would venture in and try being entrepreneurs. Mm. I, I think that education in the future is going to be super funny. I think that we, kind of like you could throw it all on its heads because now we have every knowledge, like you're sitting in this library and we have access to the whole world and we can drag stuff in. I just bought uh, virtual reality headsets for my children. Mind blowing. <laughs> guess mind -blowing, guess I mean. what I've been doing for the last 48 hours. Talk about the it's future. Like, that is the future, that stuff. Crazy. That is the future. So I think that the normal way for people to learn something is that I have a dream, I have an idea, I want to make it real. And that could be baking a cookie or learning to play a guitar or building a shelf. Mm -hmm. And now I try and I mess it up. Okay, now I actually am curious about learning how to play to make a cookie or maybe some math because it was really crooked. So now I'm interested because I have this problem that I wanted to fix. Mm. So if we change the school system, I think that would be great if children could be examinated in those kind of things, not in math, not in religion, not in prose, but in fixing a problem or working together or solving a conflict so that you did something. I think also it's very important that education becomes a tangible thing mm. and not just in your head. Like I'm a biologist and I'm also political scientist and political science is complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> it is just many words after one another that politicians and journalists can use to sound smart while not doing anything. So people with political science background should not be trusted. Whereas if you have a natural science education, or if you have, if you're a pilot, or if you're a doctor or a nurse, there's something very interesting in that the higher the value of your job is, or the more dangerous it is, the more you train on your job. So, so when I was a biologist, you would have a teacher telling you stuff, and you didn't understand it. And then afterwards, you went into the lab, and you cut in things, you know, and you had to do with what you call it in chemistry, you had to blow stuff up and that was funny, right? <laughs> and then it happened and you didn't know why. And then you had to go back and study again. So you went back and forth from doing something and reading about it. You have a pilot, that's what they do. You no, know, they have theory and then they go into a simulator and then they go into an airplane. And I know from pilots that they say, if we make a mistake, talk to each other and there's no blame game. There's no fear because we want to fix the problem so that nobody gets hurt. Mm. If you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're an engineer, it's very, very common that when you learn something that has a theory behind it, you also have to practice. Mm. Don't know, I don't think that anybody wants to go to the dentist or, or have a, having open heart surgery, and then they call you and say, I never tried it. No. <laughs> I have read a lot about it. I, I had got really good grades. And this is the first time I'm, I'm flying a real airplane. I tried the simulator and... Uh, you know, theory. I was, I was actually, on, I was actually on a flight where someone said that once. So that was pretty scary. They're like, this is my first <laughs> ever flight folks. <laughs> I'm like, no. Exactly. Like, um, oh, I guess it's happened. Everyone's had their first ever flight, but, um, but that kind of, that ties into my personal belief system, which I, I like my audience to pick up on um, here, which is, you know, no one's 
no one's born an entrepreneur. You, it's all it's all training, isn't it? No one's born a lawyer. No one's born a doctor. You know, yeah. all of these things require you know knowledge transfer and and information. And I think you're, it's interesting you mentioned. I do see pilots sharing knowledge. I know recently with the airplane that had a lot of problems a lot of the pilots were talking with each other about the problems with their airplane but the the authority that managed the airplane companies wasn't willing to take a risk and push back and make the plane stop flying until they got fixed but the pilots were talking about it for a long time before those accidents happened but i do feel like this is one of the reasons i do the podcast i think entrepreneurs have so much insight and so much knowledge that actually being an entrepreneur isn't that complicated it it is no. a series of, of of insights. Fifty things, I think, that, that ultimately you can be yeah. a good. You called them Jedi's, you know, of, sort of your your version of a futurist. But you can be a Jedi, right? It's actually yeah. what type of Jedi? What type of superpower have you got to go alongside your Jedi t- training? Right? Yeah. Even Jedi's had to have training. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody has train has to have training. I also love Einstein. Once said that it's not that I'm so smart. I just stick with the problem longer. Mm. Well, and when a, I have a problem, very often I think, okay, I have to, and, and it's like the universe is calling me and saying this problem, that one, not that one, this one, yeah. but I don't know how to do it. Yeah, but that's why it's a problem, right? You're, you're so kind I have of, to stick with the problem. You're answering all my questions really um, without me asking them, <laughs> which is, the, you know, I guess the, the, the style of a futurist, you know, what is luck, right? What do you think about luck? I think you're kind of answering it there, right? You, It's a, a persistence thing over time, those sorts of things. Yeah, actually, I think that luck is like a river, I always seen luck like a river that you have to put your foot in it. You have to be in the be in luck. You have, and if you don't want to be in the river, you have to be in a place where the river can find you. Because luck is for me is moving around. It's opportunities that sometimes you can see and other times you can't see them. So, so you probably also know people who would say I'm not lucky, but you walk the mile in their shoes you would see all the opportunities that because their mindset is that they don't see the river. Um, so, so I have also met people who say that you're so lucky, you know, and you all do all these stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I'm also moving a lot. You know, I'm talking with people I'm pushing myself out there. I'm, I'm trying when, if a, if a journalist calls me and says, do you want to go on television? Nine out of 10 times I say, yes, I don't say, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> it's more like, yeah, I will come because I know from journalists, that they are interviewing the people who will come. There are so many smart and clever people. And this is also a, a man-woman thing. Most men also come when a journalist will call them. Women are more like, nah, I don't know, and the kids and that. I'm just coming. I'm saying, okay, can you come with a, a, a you know, a van and park on the street and I'll go out there. And then we'll figure it out afterwards because that is luck. You know, that's maybe somebody will see it and three years later, that's a new client because they thought that, you know, there was something there. That's how the world moves. So, so when I have people who are just sitting behind a desk, I'll tell them, you know, that's not where the river is. You know, that the river is super dry where you are sitting. And that's a choice that you are making. But if you want to be a lucky person, you have to kind of like, you know, push yourself out. Maybe someday somebody will come by with a boat that you can sail on on the river of luck and it will take you somewhere new. Lovely way of explaining it. Couldn't agree more. I, 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 I'm just, again, fascinated by your CV. News anchor. What happened mm-hmm. there? Yes, I've been uh, forced with money and fame. <laughs> no, I have had so many. And back, back to the humble thing, right? I had so many job offerings in the media business with 
high-end or anchor or news speaker, journalist thingy. And the funny thing is that when I was a child, when people forced me to say, what do you really want to do when you grow up? I would say journalist, just to have an answer. And then I realized that, no, I actually don't want to be a journalist. But journalists and futurists have very much in common. You know, then they are, they are curious people. It's kind of like an identity. You know, if you're a journalist, you're always working. The same with a futurist. And journalists very often also write about trends. They just put them in a newspaper or uh, in on TV. And uh, so many people who offered me jobs. But when I come in to a media house, I can just feel that I should walk away. I can feel it's not the place for me. I will be an awful, awful, awful person. I would be really, really, really good at it. But it would eat me up from the inside. I just know it. Uh, it's the same with the CEO. If I got offered a position in, you know, kind of like a huge global IT company, I could do that really well, but I would be an awful, awful person. I just know it. So I can feel it that, like the universe is calling me and say, don't do it. But then this one time they called me and say, hey, now we have the perfect uh, slot for you. It's going to be a future. It's going to be technology and it's going to be innovation. So it's all about hope. So I said, okay, then. And it's the worst decision I ever made in my life. It was horrible because I compare it with social media. If I do anything on social media, I have instant feedback, right? And I have a reach that was much higher than any program I made on television. And they kind of owned me. That was the worst thing. All of a sudden, I was an employee. You know, I had to be there at a certain time. I, I, could, I couldn't go home when I wanted to. Uh, this also sounds like really prima donna, but I had to sit in makeup for an hour every day, them doing my hair, doing my makeup to do like a three minute spot. <laughs> I was dying on the inside. I hated it so much. And then after a couple of months, they came and told me that they wanted to, to, um, to focus more on money and politics. It's like, yeah, that's everything else that you're doing. They were literally I, trying I to kill like, you, weren't they? They were, they were trying to kill your spirit. They were trying to kill my spirit. And I faked that I was sad. But the funny thing then again was I had three shows that I could make where I was in charge because nobody cared. So I could do whatever I wanted. So I did a whole segment on Star Wars. Oh, wow. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because that was the year where the first new Star Wars came out. You know, the real, real Star Wars movie number seven, I guess it is. So I was sitting on my birthday alone in the movie theater at the Star Wars premiere and watching Star Wars. I've never been more happy in my life. Brilliant. And then I, I was allowed to do an interview with three experts in the studio where we talked about Star Wars. So like, when are we going to have a lightsaber? And what would it cost to build a Death Star? And how gravity, you know, gravity in, why are they walking around in the Millennium Falcon? Where if we see the space station, they're floating around. So what's happening, guys? It was so much fun. It's the best thing. <laughs> I'm sure that's where they wanted for their serious um, news channel. Yeah. But, uh, but that, that's fascinating. And I, I, what I like about that story so much is, is, well, a lot of people would dream of being a news anchor. You know, like, it, you know, it was, oh, my, if you ask I, a lot of young people I, I speak to about their future career options and definitely being on TV or being famous, um, it's, it's, it comes up. But I, what I like about what you're talking about, I mean, there's being famous doing something you love and there's being famous mm. doing something you hate. And, you know, yeah. um, the famous bit isn't actually the important bit. Right. And it can be for some people, but that's, again, you have to try it. 
before you know it, right? You venture in and you try stuff and then you turn around. And I think that's the beauty of how the world is right now is that there's this abundancy of things that you can try out. Mm. And for me, that wasn't fun. But then you're sitting again in, I was sitting in an airplane. I think I was going to Sweden and there was an interview uh, from, from uh, three fat Swedish production guys. And they talked about that they are these production guys who write all the pop star songs so like 75 percent at that time of all the hits in pop music in the world has been written from these three fat swedish men <laughs> and they say we never talk about it this is a very you know it's a very an interview that is rarely given uh, because nobody wants to hear britney spears singing hit me baby one more time and think of a fat swedish producer and I just thought I'm never I listening to these songs fat. again in the same way. I yeah, it's my listeners are now going to play these but things. But my in real thought, life. my thought was, I want to be a fat Swedish producer. That's <laughs> what I want to be. But you don't know that that's what you want to be before you try the other thing, mm. right? So now you can make a decision again: what do you want to do, and what don't you want to do? Mm. I, I want you to be the um, CEO of Fixing Education, please. Yes, please. Um, I will do and, that. And yeah, uh, yeah and then I, I like I like the idea of you running the universe. I think not just the planet. I feel like yeah. there's a, you know, yeah. Elon Musk is trying to get to job. Mars. I think that needs properly managed. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure why we need to go to Mars. We could just go to the moon, couldn't we? If we want to be a multi-planet. I think species. that what we say as futurists is that for the last hundreds of years, when humans journeyed or ventured, we ventured out. So we went to over the hill or over the ocean or to a different country. But what we're doing now is that we venture in. So we travel not only out, we also travel in because we want to learn about ourselves. And I think that when we go to the, to the moon, you know, we learned a lot about who are, who are we actually on this planet. So when we are going to Mars, it's going to tell us a lot about who are we actually. Mm. You know, if we meet some aliens out there, would they be disgusted with us? If people are, are living in that tin can going to Mars, who are they together? And and if we took an average of the 10 friends we have, Simon, I'm pretty sure <laughs> people would eat each other before we kind of like 30 kilometers across the moon. Now everybody's just fighting and eating each other. So we have to become better people. It's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a great dilemma to talk with, with people, you know, like who, who would you, who would you travel with to Mars and how are we supposed to behave towards each other well, to your point earlier about hanging out with your kids all the time i think um i love my son i absolutely love spending time with him but i don't know if i could even travel with him to mars i'd be like Can't yeah, you right yeah keep, <laughs> keep quiet for an hour please you know yeah. would um, be interesting i mean i've got a couple of questions before we end because i i am um, i'm conscious of time um and, and thank you so much for giving so much of it to me and the audience but i was interested in when when you moved from future navigator your your business there that you ran for for 16 years and then now your present business uh, universal futurist what what was the main difference between the two platforms it, it is um, more specific you know it's where future navigator was a lot about the future so there's like a new scenario new scenario there's always a new trend discussing debating but i kind of lacked that social proof you know where you can say that if you're a bricklayer, you know, here is the house that I built. Or if you're a personal trainer, you can see here is Simon, the fat ass. Here is Simon. Look how beautiful he is now. You know, that you could basically say before it was like this and now it is like this. And I truly believe myself that we are right now living in epic times. 
I think that so much right now is at stake. We call it this, you know, from more to better or from tribal to planetary, that we can eat each other up in the search for more, like the lions and the dragons. But as a biologist, actually, I see that nature is much more about interdependency. It's much more about being hyperconnected. And I think that human race is actually moving into becoming much more ease with itself, much kinder, passionate. But somebody has to go there first to show people that this is this is what it's at. Like you're saying that if you don't believe in climate change, you won't see it. And if you don't believe in humanity, you won't see kindness. And I think that the people who have it in them, maybe entrepreneurs, could be everybody. But I think that we have to be the good, good role models. And then again, I have a, a good friend. His name is uh, Martin Torbor. He's uh, one of the most famous uh, entrepreneurs in Denmark. Would probably be a cool dude to have on your podcast. And he uh, had a huge success with his business, like with, like a lion. And he sold it off. And then he started a new one. But when he started the new one, he went in as an entrepreneur because it's so much fun. So he was bootstrapping his business and hiring people when he had a surplus of money in that business. He has, you know, millions and millions that he could put into the business. But he says that there's no greater fun than being an entrepreneur. So, so, and I thought that that's pretty, that's pretty right, right? That when you're struggling as an entrepreneur, most of the time, you know, that you're struggling with the right things, you know, you know, you know, you're struggling with your passion. And for me, being in Future Navigator was funny. It was nice. I loved it. We worked really well together, but I just really loved that, you know, starting from a clean slate. Mm. I really, really loved starting a new business, not having a bank account looking at my, you know, male subscribers and having zero <laughs> and having no clients and no brands and nothing and then just starting over. I couldn't agree more. I think so many people out there that are looking to start their business, a lot of my listeners, it's the journey is just so exciting. You're actually, yes. when you get there, it's not, I mean, selling your company, I've done it a few times. It's actually, it's not as rewarding as you expected it to be. It's a good target, I guess, you know, maybe yeah. I don't think you should build a business to sell it, but I like the idea that you've got some motivation that you could, if you wanted to, you're not trapped by the business, for example. But, but I, I do think that building piece is so powerful what you're talking about there. And I would add something else to you know, insight you've just brought to the table there that having no money when you start a business like that person you just described they don't bringing no money to the table actually adds value in another way which is um, like I'm building my platform now I've got huge amount of resource to, to put into this but I'm very careful about deploying it because I want to be in touch with the people listening I want to be yeah. in touch with the community if I suddenly hire for example social media experts and all these I'm going to have a barrier between me and, and the community and yes. so, so sometimes money does not solve all problems sometimes money can cause problems because you don't get to pioneer because you're not listening carefully enough to to people you're serving so i've seen a lot of people raise a lot of money for example start a business and it fails and the person that raised no money succeeds because that person who raised no money is on the ground in the trenches listening carefully fixing the product because they haven't got a lot of money to waste on it and they get it right by listening whereas people with money tend to like this is what we're doing boom and then they just expect the money to bring the business alive right I have such a great example of that entrepreneurial mindset. There's these um, three young dudes in Denmark who have started a company, which is today quite successful, called Shaping New Tomorrow. And what they do, what they sell is a suit for men that feels like a sweatsuit. So it's like a nice suit, but it feels like sweats. <laughs> I think that's just 
magnificent. Who wouldn't love to have that? And they had, you know, struggling business, you know, the story. And then they actually went into the lions, the lion, the dragon's den. They got funding and everybody then chipped in. No, everybody came and bought everything they had because they were on television. So they kind of like gave them this huge boost. But what also happened was that their website wasn't geared with logistics. So now they actually sold 1,000 or was it 3,000 pieces of clothes that they didn't have in stock. <laughs> so now they're sitting there thinking, okay, it felt like a success, but it really isn't. What they then did, and I think that's the entrepreneurial mind, right, is that you roll with it. So instead of saying, okay, it, that, that we're really scared about it or it just feels like a big bug up, but we can roll with it. So they brought in all their friends, their family, and they called everybody. Everybody who has bought something in the store and they couldn't send it because it didn't exist, they called each and everybody and they said, we're so sorry, but we had this and we are just starting out. But we promise you, like in three, three months, maybe five, we will send you the equipment. Is that okay for you? And everybody, of course, said, yeah, 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 we love you guys. And they learned so much from talking with the clients, which today means that they are selling directly. So they're not selling via stores. And they have their, their own internal social media department because they learn so much about their clients that they know we can't have a communication bureau on the outside. We actually have to have social media marketing on the inside of the company. So I'm, I'm totally with you, I like Simon. That. I, like, I think again, that, I, that listening is so important. That, that whole, um, I think in translation of, of your insight, I, I, fake it till you make it is kind of the yeah. phrase that comes to mind. And I think where people go wrong with fake it till you make it is they don't follow through. So I think fake it till you make it is absolutely fine if you do what you just described there with those guys, that they, they faked it in a way, they didn't have the product, but they followed through by being sincere, getting back to the clients, being transparent, and eventually getting the product to the clients. And, and so that's everyone's going to see that as you know the entrepreneurial hustle. I think where the word hustle and fake it to you make it goes wrong is when people then take that money and they don't deliver the product or yeah, they had no yes. intention of delivering the product. That that's where it's not good to fake it till you make it, right? And yeah, and and again, if you if you if you misbehave or you do something <coughs> that might be a bad habit or it might be something that comes from a trauma, uh, and then all of a sudden you realize that you know again the universe is calling you and say, hey, that's not okay. You know what you're doing there is basically not okay, and then you have to change it uh, because fake it till you make it is al is also a little bit like you're saying cheating, right? But what you realize, the older you get, that you are only faking and cheating yourself. I realized, I think I must have been a lot, 30, 35, 37, that I lied a lot. But I didn't know that I did it. But I, I became, you know, I found myself in this situation where people asked me a question. And then I couldn't remember what I answered three weeks ago because I lied about it. Or... I was sitting in a car to a meeting and then they call me and say, we're waiting for you. Are you coming? And then I would say, yeah, I'm there in 15 minutes. And when 15 minutes comes out of my mouth, I know it's a lie because I know at least it's going to take me 30 minutes. But it's it was like such a bad habit. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you, and you can say, okay, this is just putting me, you know, in a different way in the jungle where I'm not supposed to be. And you come back and do the apologies, but that was basically to myself because I could see that that lying thing was much more like a self-protection and it had to do with self-worth mm. and it had to do with me trying to be something that I wasn't and protecting myself or telling all these stories. Mm. 
But I realized that because I talk so much that I have to tell the truth because otherwise I can't remember what I'm saying. But being honest for me is also standing up to myself. And it is also, and that probably comes back to my school days, you know, being that girl that never had any friends. It is also trusting that my real friends will find me if I am honest. Yeah. I think that's such maybe the hugest paradox for people is that everybody wants to be loved just as they are, right? Want to be loved just as we are. But we are so scared that people won't like us if they see us for what we are. So we put all these kinds of bells and whistles around us. But the older you get, you find out, okay, you have to take that one. You have to take that one. You have to take that one. And then you lose people along the way, right? You lose people that, that you, you thought were good for you or don't match together with anymore or, you know, that you have to learn stuff the hard way. But, but just coming back to your point with, I think that many, many wonderful thing in being an entrepreneur, but I think that there's also many nasty things. I think there's also many ugly things. I, I think that you come, you, you trample on people's toes and you do it. And then maybe it takes you a long time before you turn around and you look at it and you can see, okay, I left behind a big smoking crater and that's actually not okay. And then you have to deal with it. So for me, being an entrepreneur maybe is also, you know, a personal development program. Maybe that's oh, I agree <laughs> the, with that. the totally. conclusion. I, I, I'm, I'm always personally uh, trying to improve my software. <laughs> Yes. Um, and hardware, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm always trying. I mean, I, I think lying. I've been trying to do a video blog on lying for about three months because I think it's a really interesting subject, actually, because because we, we but we all seen that movie with Ricky Gervais where he never. Yes, no one the lies. Right? Of lying. I love you know? it. Yeah. And, and that kind of personifies the problem. I mean, it's 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 a, a necessary part of society. You know, I say I say to my son, my son started lying to me. You know, and part of me, you know, wants to say, don't lie. But actually some elements, you know, you have to. I remember my wife was eight months pregnant. She's like, do I yes. still look the same? I'm like, you look beautiful. And, it's you know, beautiful, still, honey. You know, <laughs> but it's, of course, you're eight months pregnant. You, it is beautiful in a certain way. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't, there's, there's, there's not question she's asking she doesn't want the brutal truth you know like you do look a bit tired and you've had yeah. to, you've eaten yeah. a lot of extra food in the last eight months so you yeah. know you've, you've looked better you know like you just that's not that's not right to answer it that way but you know that's a very yeah. uh, lame example but you, you know what i mean right lying is a I really interesting subject yeah. and i and i find you know i find um that kind of the whole lying process a, a pretty confusing one because as a kid you're told not to lie but i think if you told everyone the truth you'd be in a lot of trouble by the time you're 10 yeah and would be really interesting to also look into artificial intelligence, right? Because it's lying. My, is that the, the final human frontier? Because I think it takes very much empathy and intelligence to lie in a humble way. Because actually lying, lying is exactly what you just described it as. You're trying to give um, value to the person you're lying to, actually, in a way. You're, yeah. And, and I, I think, like, for example, the time, your time example you gave there, I have lied about timing. I know it's 25 minutes. I'm saying 15, yes. but I'm hoping somewhere in between it's 20. So it's not a big lie. It's not a small, <laughs> you know, so there's, there's, some, there's some structure in my head. And then if I say 15 and I'm 20, it's okay. If I say 25 and they, I'm already late, it's, it's really quite rude. So there's, yeah. there's, there's an interesting, you know, there's, there, there is an intellect to lying, actually. 
Um, and meanwhile, in Spain, they are like, yeah, you're coming. Yeah, you're coming. We'll see you when you see you. That's fine. You, you know, like, we'll be sleeping. Yeah. I think we just generalized the whole of Spain. But yes, I, <laughs> I totally agree. Look, I could talk to you all day, actually. This is probably, again, one of my longest podcasts. In, uh, and so I, I am, I, I'm going to have to draw a line and, and have you back. <laughs> and, 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 and I, 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 um, I, I'm just, I just, I'm just in love with the way you think and, and the insights that you have. And, and uh, I'm so grateful that you spend so much time sharing it with with me in the audience today i'm going to quickly sum up some of the things i've taken today um and and then uh, i'm going to say goodbye to you it has been such a delight and i will be so happy to come back yeah well it's uh really really amazing Uh, these are the things i i love um be a small hero we should make that a t-shirt like that um maths is magic i love describing maths i would have loved maths if it was described to me as magic Let's absolutely do that. Um, no means not at the moment. Hmm. Um, in business, that's so true, I think. Uh, nobody uh, decides who you are. So, so true. But so many people let other people decide. Who, what The whole what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a TV anchor. I'm going to, I love the idea of what problem are you going to solve when you, when you yeah. grow up. You know, like the, nobody decides who you are. I... Um, I think keeping the eyes of a child is so true. I look at the, my son's eyes and you know, just thinking about it right now makes me want to cry. It's just so magical. And I absolutely know what you mean. When I meet people and they have that in their eyes still, I love hanging out with them. It's um, just, you know, having fun. I think the grown-up challenge, I love this concept of control-alt-delete as an adult. I think if mm. you can master that, your life will be so much better. I think we often choose to be miserable. <laughs> Yeah, and I and we don't need to. I love it, and I'm going to try it. Um, I think it's going to take me a few years to get it right, and um, but I'm going to literally talk to my wife tonight about it. I love it. Um, don't think so much. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think a lot of people do overthink things, and um, and I think this whole concept of being a zebra, not a dragon, not a lion, being a zebra, that's a good thing, you know. And um, yeah. I, I think also a t-shirt. Yeah, another T-shirt. You know, are you a yeah. Jedi? I think it's um, this whole training thing. I love this whole "Are you a Jedi?" point you made. Uh, I, so, you know, f- from my side, I, I, I just I could go on and on. I've loved having you on the, on the show. Thank you for coming on. And um, my final question is: If you went back to your younger self and gave one bit of advice, what would it be? Mm. Oh, what would it be? What would it be? Maybe relax a bit. <laughs> you're going to get there. I think I was when my younger self was so busy, you know, again, always moving, moving, moving was, you know, it's all, it's all there. Relax a bit. Yeah. Relax. Another another t-shirt. Keep calm and carry on. We might get in some trademark problems with the uh, people that own that one. Keep calm and carry on. But uh, I like it. But otherwise my favorite motto is you can always panic later. Yeah. Always panic later. Later is always the right time to panic. Yeah. Which is what I loved about um, the live podcast we did, which again, guys, I'll put the link up here, um, a whole yeah. set of uh, different different in, uh, insights that Anna gave us. Um, so I love it. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely thank you, wonderful Simon. To have you here today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. If you found what Anna had to say interesting, then please do me a favor. Go to her social media down below. Give her a like, say hello, and tell her what you think the future looks like. We know you have thousands of podcasts that you could be listening to, and you take the time out to listen to ours. We feel incredibly lucky.